Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now, please enjoy our sermon at Church on the Hill. So this week, we're continuing in our series, and in case you guys don't know, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 13 in that passage that talks about love that most of you have probably heard about, where it says, love is patient, love is kind, you guys already know what I'm talking about. Um, And this week, the part that I get to focus on is the part that says, love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And to be completely transparent with you, when we laid out the teaching calendar, and I saw what weekend it was and the content and everything else, and then I saw that it was my weekend to teach, my response was, no. (laughs) I just didn't want it. And if you guys wonder, like, well, then why did you get it? I'll tell you why. Because Scott's daughter, Courtney, got married this weekend. And so, Courtney, DJ, I know you guys aren't watching because you're on your honeymoon, but congratulations, and we wish you all the best. To Scott and Kelly, congratulations to you guys. So that's the logistical reason of why I'm up here teaching this Father's Day. But the reason why I kind of have that, oh no, I don't want this, isn't just because it's Father's Day weekend and I thought I could go do something else. The very transparent reason why I did not want to teach this message is there's probably two things in my life that I've struggled with for a long time. One of them is I have the ability to be very sarcastic or quick-witted. Yeah, some of you guys are like, no, shocker. That means I've probably done something offensive to you, so sorry. Um, But my mouth sometimes just gets me in trouble because the things I say and I don't filter it well. And it's something I have to really work on, and it's been a struggle. The second thing is anger. And it's embarrassing to say, and it's not something I like, and it's not something that I want to admit, but the truth is, my entire life, anger has been something where I've had to put a lot of effort in because it does not come easy for me to handle anger well. And I'm not kidding when I say this. When I was just a little kid, we're talking like young elementary school kid, I can remember back to elementary school and on a Halloween like party day, I remember I was dressed up like a football player, and I had a real helmet in my hand, and we all got in line to go do something. I don't remember what it was. And this kid cuts in front of me. I'm like, hey, you cut in front of me. And he turns around and goes, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I'll show you what I'm going to do about it. Boom, helmet to the face. <laughs> little elementary school kid. Like, what kind of crazy person was I? Father's Day, Dad, sorry you had to deal with it. And I remember, I just, anger came so quickly from, I remember growing up, I had a very, we're just going to call it what it is, weird voice, and you guys are like, oh, that hasn't changed. Uh, But growing up, it was a very high-pitched voice. And I would walk into the room, and on a regular basis, my brother, who I have a great relationship with and I love, would go, M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U, and I would fly off the handle. He's six years older than me. He's way bigger. I would just come at him trying to throw punches and attack him. Anger has just been something for me where it's just right there. I remember a few years ago, 
on staff, we were doing these personality profile tests. And one of the things we did was the Enneagram. And I took this test and figured out which number or thing I was. And I remember watching this video about it. And it says, here's the pros of your thing, and here's the negatives. And one of the negatives is the emotion of anger is one of the most readily available emotions to you. It's just right there for you to grab. And I remember thinking, huh, that's incredibly discouraging. <laughs> like that, that thing essentially just told me, hey, you're hardwired to be terrible at this. Congratulations. Now, thankfully, I can say that for most of you, that probably comes as a surprise and you wouldn't think it, but I can tell you this, it has been a ton of work for me to try to process that well to try to handle that well. And something that comes to mind, there's a quote from G.K. Chesterton, and he's a theologian from like the 1900s, and he says, the problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and left wanting. It's that it's been, it's been found difficult and left untried. And I think that speaks to me in this area because the truth is, for you and for me, wherever you stand on how you handle anger, God's call for your life doesn't change. The expectation of Christ, the way that he's called you to love, the way that he's called you to treat others doesn't change whether you're hardwired for this to be hard for you or whether you're one of those incredibly patient people that just has a fuse that goes on forever, and God bless you. But whichever side you're on, the call does not change. We're still called to love the way that Christ has called us to love. And I don't get the option to sit there and go, oh, but wait, this one's really hard for me. And it's kind of like wired into me to be hard for me. So God, I get to do it different, right? And then God from the cross goes, no, sometimes you got to do hard things. And I look at this and I go, okay. So what is it that God is actually calling us to? When it says love is not easily angered, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, what is it that that's actually calling us to? But before we get into that, I do have to clarify something because I know some of you are sitting here going, but anger is not a sin. And Jesus gets angry. And to clarify that, to answer that question, what I would say to you is, you are right. Anger in and of itself is an emotional response, and it is not a sin. And I would also say, when you say that Jesus got angry, Jesus got super angry sometimes. Let's just call it like it is. There's a time where he makes a whip and drives everyone out of the temple. We get the account of Jesus going into the temple and seeing the money changers and they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing and he starts flipping the tables over and drives everyone out. Is he angry? Absolutely. Every once in a while you see pastors, they're like, no, no, he's not angry. He was just making a point. No, he was angry. And here's the thing though. Here's what we have to separate out. There's two kinds of anger. There's righteous anger and then there's all the other stuff. Righteous anger is what Jesus displays in that, and what makes it righteous anger is this. Jesus is walking into the temple at that time, and what he sees is that these people who are supposed to be taking money and giving the animals out for the sacrifices are taking these people that have to buy the animals there, and they're taking these animals from outside, putting them inside where people have to buy them, and they're charging nine to ten times how expensive they should be. 
They're exploiting the poor people so they can't be a part of the whole process. They've come here to try to get right with God, and they're making it so they can't even get right with God. And Jesus goes, there's no chance I'm going to be a part of this system. We're flipping some tables. It's a righteous anger because he's angry at an injustice being done to a different people group, and he's not going to stand for it. If you're angry about something that's a wrong in the world, if you're angry about something that you just feel is wrong and someone's being mistreated for it, and it's leading you to an action, there's a high probability that's a righteous anger. I have a friend living on the border of a foreign country with a bunch of refugees because he saw how they were being treated and how the government was handling it, and he said, that's absolutely not okay, and I'm going to go do something about it. That is a righteous anger. I'm not talking about that. That's not the anger I'm referring to. And here's the truth. What we find in Scripture is that there is no point where Jesus goes, hey, I'm angry because you did something to me. You did something wrong to me, and I didn't like it. I didn't like the cards I was dealt. I didn't like what you said. I didn't like how I was treated. Therefore, I'm angry. We don't get it. The person that says love like I do is literally nailed to a cross with people that spit on him and put a crown of thorns and made fun of him and did a bunch of terrible things. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. Jesus was not angry with the stuff that was being done to him. He had a righteous anger for others. If you have a righteous anger for others, use that. But for most of you, including me, Righteous anger is not the problem. So what is the problem? Ephesians 4, to 27 says this, if anger is not a sin, then why is it a problem? Here's your answer. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Skip forward to verse 26 and it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. What does that mean? That means don't let anger take root inside of you. Don't let anger become something that you trap and hold inside of you. Why? Because you're giving the devil a foothold. You've seen this in your life. When you have anger inside of you, your response does not become a positive thing. You are giving the devil a foothold to mess with you and to have you do things in all kinds of different ways that are not positive. James 1.20 is a lot more blunt and clear. James simply says this, you know, you want to know why you shouldn't be angry? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Guess what? He's right. I've seen it in myself. When I get angry at my house, I am not a more patient husband or father. I am not more kind and I am not more loving. When I'm driving down the road and I'm angry, I'm not more patient. I'm not more kind and I'm not more thoughtful. And guess what? I know some of you pretty well, and I've seen you angry. And you're not more godly. We just went through a whole COVID season together. I've seen a lot of you angry. It didn't make us more like Jesus. 
My anger has not made me more like Jesus. What is the problem with our anger? We give the devil a foothold, and then he uses it to mess with us in all kinds of different ways. We've experienced this where something bad happens at work, so what do you do? You drive home angry and cut off a bunch of people and make them angry. And then you get home and you're mean to your family and you're mean to your dog and you're mean to the neighbor and it just, it just spews out of you. So what is it that Jesus is actually calling us to? What is it that Paul is laying out here? In this passage in 1 Corinthians, it says this. It says, love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. So we're going to break that down. What is not easily angered? It's what we just talked about. What does it mean to keep no record of wrongs? It means that you don't hold injustices inside of you. You don't latch onto it and go, I'm never going to forget that. I'm forever going to remember this about that person or about this situation or about this place. I'm going to harbor it. I'm going to put it in a little lockbox and I'm just going to keep it inside of me. Whatever the injustice, whatever the struggle, you just go, I'm just going to lock it in, and I'm not going to forget it, and I'm not going to let go of it. That's what it means to keep a record of wrongs. And I think all of these build on top of each other. What is the next one? It says it does not delight in evil. What does that mean? It means you don't want people to get what they deserve. But what happens when you lock anger inside of you? What happens when you lock negative things inside of you? You want people to get what they deserve. At least I do. Maybe you're all better than me. I don't know. But when you harbor anger and frustration and hurt against a person or a situation or something else, you want evil to take place after that. And we just title it as, we want them to get what they deserve. We want them to get what's coming to them. Because that's what we desire on our own. And then what is the last thing that it says about love that ties all of this together? It says love rejoices with the truth. What is the truth? The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's the good news. What's the good news? The good news is that Jesus is not giving you what you deserve. If you're a Christ follower in the room, Jesus has taken a stance that he is not going to give you what you've earned. He's chosen to forgive you, and he says, I have a life for you, and I have a plan for you, and I have a desire for you, and I have affection for you, and I have something so much better than what you currently have. I am not going to hold on to the letdown, the disappointment, the anger, the frustration. That is forgiven, and I'm choosing to love you. That's the good news. And if you're a Christ follower, that's what you're called to. That's what we're supposed to emulate. When Jesus says, go and do likewise, that's what he's saying. What does it mean for us to love others? What it means for us to love others is to do that for other people. To be like Christ. And as we've gone through this series, we've kind of been trying to just use one word to encapsulate what does that actually look like? What does it mean? And I think the word I would use today is this, love absorbs. If you're truly going to be loving, you're going to absorb the injustices. Instead of getting angry and flying off the handle, you're going to absorb the things that go wrong. 
because all of us have a chance or have an opportunity every single time that happens. Anytime something goes wrong, we get the chance to reflect it and deflect it, which we are really good at. You've done something wrong to me, now I'm going to go do something wrong to you and other people. And we just keep spewing the toxicity all around. But if we're going to be loving, we're going to take it and we're going to absorb it. We're going to let it die with us. We're not going to send it back out to everyone around us. But the reality of the situation is this. It's not what we usually do. It's not how we usually handle things. And truthfully, it's really not even how our culture tells us to do anything. What does our culture say? Our culture says you're unique. You're made to be you. You have to express yourself. You have to tell people how you feel. You have to get that stuff out. You've got to just be you and let it out. And let me pause and ask this question. Where's that gotten us? How are we doing right now? There's very wise people that look at our society and go, there's an honest fear that we are headed towards a civil war. Why? Because we have to be us and we have to express ourselves and we have to put it out there. As countercultural as this is, you know what I think God is calling us to? Don't express yourself. Don't just be you. You know why? You have evil desires. Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. What is God calling us to? To be godly. What does it mean to be godly? To deny yourself, take up your cross, and to follow him. That's what it means to follow him. That's what it means to handle your anger well. But the truth of the situation is this. I can't say for sure for you, but I can say for sure for myself. When situations come that make me angry or make me frustrated, I am never going to be holy enough or righteous enough to do it God's way on my own. I'm just not. To be really uh, open with you guys, these past two weeks of my life have just been garbage. (laughs) Like, things have not gone well. At work, when I do things, it's like everything else comes up and I get pulled in a different direction. There's constant things that need to go. I've been trying to work on this message for two weeks, and I, every time I sit down and try to do it, I feel like a hundred different things come up or other problems come up, other issues come up, and it just has not been good. For example, on Wednesday, we took high school kids out, and they needed me to drive a boat, so I drove the boat, and it's someone else's boat that we borrowed, and we had a great day, and I was like, oh my gosh, someone, something finally went right. And then I opened the engine compartment, and the alternator had just fallen off the motor. How does that even happen? Never even heard of that. I've heard of it getting loose, not just falling off. But that's just the type of week that it's been, and to make matters much worse, at home, it has not been a good two weeks for us. I've had sick little kids, and sick little kids are heartbreaking, and they're also incredibly frustrating. And now my wife is also sick. And we've gone through this phase where we were probably up like five to seven times a night with the kids, and they're miserable, and it makes us feel miserable, and we feel terrible for them, but then they wake up, and they're so cranky, and they're so not in a good mood. 
And it turns out that means Katie and I are not in a good mood either. And my wife and I have been butting heads over so many things, and I so deeply dislike times where my wife and I are not on the same page. And it's just been a hard week. And to just give you more clarity of what it's been like over these past two weeks, on one of the nights when they were all sick, it was like, you know what? We're not going to bother with dinner. Let's just go to In-N-Out. We're going to go through the drive-thru and just get some food. We are on the main road going in and out, about to turn left, and all of a sudden someone just cuts us off like a crazy person, like literally almost takes the car out. And it's like, eh, that's fitting for this week. And then as we're sitting there at the light, the person, the light turns green, the person peels out, flies around the corner, rips through the drive-thru, and you know where they go? Right to the in and out drive-thru line. <clears throat> and my wife is like, don't follow him, don't follow him, don't follow him. I'm like, we're just going to get food. I don't care. We get to the in and out drive through line, and I am now bumper to bumper with this person. Do you know what they do to me? Little punk person. They look in the side view mirror with their sunglasses. They pull their sunglasses down at me, and they go, what? <laughs> and I was like, I, they know I'm speaking about anger. And honestly, my response at that time was like, God, thank you so much for finally delivering the person that I get to take all this frustration out on. Like, it's time. You've, you've ordained this moment. I get to get out, and it's go time. But that wasn't it. And that's not what God called me to. Shocking, right? And I'm sitting there in the line, and I'm sitting there going, okay. Like, the kids are in the car. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to be a Christian. And just to make things even better, the person then, you know, the window's down, they then blow all their smoke from their apparently mostly finished joint out the window just to give my kids a contact high, take their lit joint and throw it into the weeds. And I'm like, you really are just a special person. Like, you're just making yourself so easy to love right now. And you know what verses kept coming to my mind? Coming to my mind? Love, though, or love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. I wasn't being persecuted, but I was definitely an enemy. And you know what I felt like? I felt like God saying, Josh, you should buy their dinner. Because you're at in and out and there's that little person that comes and walks and takes your order, and you could just tell them to phone ahead and buy their dinner. And you know what I did? I did not buy their dinner. <laughs> I should have. I look back now and I'm like, you know how cool of a witness that would have been for my kids to see that take place? But I just couldn't bring myself to it. I was like, nope, I want to punch him. <laughs> and then to just to give you the picture of what's been going on, two days later, I'm still trying to get this message done. And I'm like, Katie, I have to spend time on this message. She's like, I got it. And then she comes down and gets sick too. And she's like, I am so sorry, but I need you to go pick up Grace, our oldest daughter, because I just don't feel good. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what the family needs, and at some point, I will get my work done. But at least I'm feeling good about, like, God, I'm doing the right thing, so at least help me out. Like, just make the message come together for me. I throw Addie, our youngest, into the truck. We drive to where we're going to get Grace. I'm in the lane to go straight to get Grace, and apparently someone decides they need to get in the left-hand turn lane really quick and make the light, but they're a terrible driver, and they don't calculate it correctly, so they hit the back end of the truck. 
And then you know what they did? Floored it through the yellow light and drove away. The person behind him comes up next to me and goes, dude, that guy just hit your truck and drove away. <laughs> yeah, I was there. <laughs> he goes, do you want to go chase him down? I'm like, well, I mean, there's no point in that. He's gone. There's already traffic coming, lights right now. What are you going to do? And I just sat there going, you know what, Lord? Apparently you want me to have a lot of examples for this Sunday's message. But the truth of the situation is this. My desire in those situations, if we're going to be very honest, at the drive-thru, I just wanted to punch the person. When the person hit and ran in that situation, my hope was, I would love to see you just lose some control on that left-hand turn and smash right into that light. Not, not really hurt you, but significantly jack up your vehicle. And that's my desire. And my human desire in anger does not lead to righteousness. And that's just the truth of the situation. And so what I've learned and what I think we have to understand is our desire is never going to lead to the response that God has called us to. So our option, if we're going to handle anger correctly, is to go, God, I cannot do this on my own. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into the garage this week and verbally said, God, I can't. I literally cannot do this right now. You have to give me the strength. And I've had to sit and pray about it, and I've had to process it, and I've had to journal it. And the way I've journaled it that I'd recommend to you guys is to go, God, here's what happened. Here is my desire. Here's what I want. But Lord, I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you've called me to do. So what I need from you is to show me what I'm supposed to do and then take your spirit, put it inside, or let me realize your spirit is inside of me with the power that I need to do what you've called me to do because I will never be able to on my own. I'll never be righteous enough and holy enough to handle it well on my own. I have to defer and go, God, I've got to relinquish control and I've got to do it your way because that's the only way I'm ever going to handle it correctly. And for some of you in this room right now, I know that God is shining a spotlight on a specific point in your life and he's saying, child, you've got to do it my way. You're holding it inside of you. It's causing you to have a desire to do evil, and you are not rejoicing in the truth of what I have for these people. You've got to relinquish control. You have to admit you cannot do it on your own, and you've got to submit to my way. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul gives us an amazing example of what I'm talking about. And my hope and my prayer for all of you is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians here, and this is what it says. It says, We do not want to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God, who raises from the dead. He has delivered us from such evil, a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue 
to deliver us. My hope for every single one of you, no matter how your anger comes out in you, is that as those situations come, you would choose to relinquish it. That you would say, God, I'm not going to do it my way because I can't do it right on my own. You've got to lead me through your spirit of how I'm supposed to handle this and put the power inside of me. Let me realize that it's the power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in me. Let me rely on that and do it your way. Because we're called to love that way and how desperately does our world need that type of love. Let me pray. Lord, you give us the example. Lord, you show us how to love, and then you ask us to follow. And Lord, there's nothing easy about it. I know personally, Lord, I've wrestled with this for so long. But Lord, you never told us it was supposed to be easy, but you did call us to be righteous and to follow you. Father, I ask that each one of us would choose to deny ourselves and to do it your way. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for this day. Amen.